Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. We'll use two scriptures here today. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that you can live the way you want to live and act the way you want to act, do what you want to do. What translation do I have? <laughs> teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Wow, that's a mouthful, isn't it? And when you get the background knowledge and understanding of some of this, as far as uh, Paul writing to Titus is concerned, it'll help us better understand what he was trying to communicate to the people. First of all, in these verses, like I said, we're not going to look them up. You can look for yourself. Paul knew what Titus was up against, the culture that he was living in, the environment that he was in. He knew it was not going to be an easy thing for him to accomplish. He was very close to Paul. He ministered with Paul. He helped Paul. But his assignment was to set things in order in the churches here at Crete. And like I said, that wasn't going to be a small task. His message to the people was going to be of kindness and the love of God, something that they really didn't know about. And there was a need for them to experience and understand sound doctrine because, you see, they were being indoctrinated incorrectly. And so they needed sound doctrine. He was to set order in the church and then also teach the importance of good works. If you're a believer, you know, we've been called unto good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're called to good works. Well... The assignment that he was given was to address liars. Think about that. They were called liars. They were called evil beasts. Wow, what language. And slow bellies or basically lazy gluttons. How about that? Who are you preaching to tonight? Well, liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And what am I supposed to do? Guide them into what? Good works, positive speech, and sound doctrine. Anybody up for that? Now that's what he was supposed to do. Now it's important we understand some of the background so we can better understand this whole thing. Crete is an island off the coast of Greece. And it's called the island of the gods. Zeus being the main god. Number one. And what the Cretes believed that because of your life that you lived on earth as a human, then you are elevated up to a deity and you become a god. And so they had many gods like that. But Zeus being the number one god. 
So we can actually say that what happened here was it was smackdown between Jesus and Zeus. Some of you ladies, you don't know what smackdown is. You, what, what, some of you do, some of you don't. But anyhow, it was a conflict between the two because there were born-again believers there, but they were under the influence of Zeus. You had some Jewish Messianic Jews that were there. They were born-again Jews, but also they were influenced by some of this, and also they wanted the people that were born-again Christians to do what? Get circumcised and follow the law. So here you got Titus given this mandate. You need to straighten these people out, correct what's going on, give them sound doctrine, teach them what Christianity is all about. And so there's a warfare taking place between the two. Now, as far as Zeus is concerned, they saw him as a liar. But they were happy about it. He was a womanizer. And they were happy about that as well. Saw nothing wrong with it. Supposedly used his powers to have his way with women. Saw nothing wrong with that either. So here we have a mess on Titus's hands. And here he is trying to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing the love of God. But he's dealing with people that look to all these other gods as deities, where they started from the bottom up. Humanity to deity. And that's why he says the true God is Jesus, and it's not from humanity to deity, it's from deity to humanity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God who became a man and dwelt upon this earth among us. And there's so many more things we could say about uh, the, basically between the two and the way they viewed things. But Titus had the awesome responsibility of trying to communicate the truth of the gospel to these people that were already undermined as a result of false teaching that was going on. Well, grace touches all three tenses when he taught grace in these verses, past, present, and future. And when he talks about grace that appeared to all men, that's talking about the incarnation, the birth of Christ. Grace and truth came by whom? By Jesus. Right. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His beauty as the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace, grace and truth. Moses brought the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So that was the past. Grace manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. Present. Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live righteous, so, sober, righteous, and godly in this present time. So he's communicating to these people that if you are a Christian, then you know grace and truth came by Jesus, who is the deity who became flesh to teach us about the grace and truth of God. And now what does it teach us? To live holy lives. Sober, godly, and righteous. Not liars, evil beasts, and gluttons. They were actually lazy, lazy gluttons. And then grace teaches us how to please God. And you will notice these four things here. It teaches us that we need to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. In other words, that's not a part of our lives anymore. What you see going on in the lives of these people, you're really rejecting what Jesus came to teach us. So we taught them, you deny that stuff. 
And then secondly, live soberly or self-controlled lives. That's another thing that it teaches us. And we live in a culture right now when we've had teachings of extreme grace that left impressions in people's minds that your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. You don't even have to confess them. And that's not biblical. Go to the book of Revelation. Look at the seven churches and what was the end of every church that he um, basically corrected? Repent. Repent. Repent to each and every one of those churches or your candlestick's going to be put out. So we are to repent as, as believers. And even though our sins are provided for, it's up to us to repent of those sins so we can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And then you've got, secondly, or, or thirdly, respecting others by living upright and righteous lives. In other words, you need to reach these people by showing them a difference between followers of Zeus and followers of Christ. Since they saw no difference back then, they said, how's that an appeal to get people to come from Zeus over to Christ? They see no difference between the people. They're doing the same things. But no, Titus had the responsibility to begin to teach them sound doctrine to let them know this is how believers live. As a matter of fact, if you go and study the book out, what do you discover? Teach the old men, tell the old men to teach the young men to live a certain way. Tell the older women to teach the younger women to live a certain way, conduct themselves in a certain way, which is really what should be going on in churches is that those that are more seasoned in Christ are to teach the ones that are younger how to love their husbands, how to love their wives, how to be hospitable, etc., etc. That's why the book was written, because these people were living the way they wanted to live and still said that they believed in Christ. Well, there has to be a distinct difference. It's, it may be that a culture that was wrong, but this is the gospel message that really doesn't matter what the culture is. And you know what? How does that pertain to us today? Our culture's messed up. Would you agree? It's absolutely messed up. And so even though we're living in a messed up culture and society, we can still be victorious in Christ. We can still rise up above it all if we do exactly what he's saying. And look at the final one. Number four, he says that we're to reverence God with disciplined devotion. We're to reverence God with disciplined devotion. They need to see people truly worshiping God, truly living for God, truly honoring God, truly being reverential and respectful when it comes to the things of God. That's what they needed to see. Not people that were doing the same identical things that the followers of Zeus were doing. They weren't seeing that. But now, can you imagine Titus being there left on the island of Crete to put all these churches in order that Paul established? He probably established some too. But he had to raise up elders to be in the different churches to begin to communicate these truths to them. Notice the next thing, looking for something. You know what, beloved? We're here looking for something. Now, looking for means persistent expectation. We are to be expecting Christ to come at any moment. We should live with high expectations that Christ could be coming tonight. He could be coming in the morning, tomorrow, whatever you, whatever you want to say. There should be an expectation that we have that motivates us to do what? To deny ungodliness and worldly lust. To live sober, righteous, godly in this present culture that we're living in. 
to see to it that we respect others through right living, and then we reverence God with our lives. Put him first. Honor him. Hold him in highest esteem. Jesus is coming again, beloved, for a redeemed people without spot and without blemish. A redeemed people that he purified for himself. A church that's zealous for good works. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's coming for. And we should never lose sight of that, no matter what culture we live in, no matter what's going on in our culture today. Our eyes are not to be on that. Our eyes are to be on him. And to be honest with you, only he can change the culture. While we're waiting for his appearing with expectation, we do our part to join forces together with him so that his purposes can be accomplished. We become the conduit that enables him to achieve the goal, which is what? Transform lives. You see, it's a reality no matter how you look at it. Those followers of Zeus, you know what the problem was? They were being transformed by what he stood for. Actually thought lying was okay. Being a womanizer was okay. All that was acceptable behavior back then. And they were conforming to that. But you and I, we know conforming to the image of Jesus is what this life is all about. We're being transformed from glory to glory to be like him. And notice, Titus, again, look at this. One is there, but it's two. It should be two, 11 through 14. This is from the NIV version. I want to read it from there. Look at what it says. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's Christ. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, regardless of the culture. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice that expression, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hold that just for a second. <clears throat> Remember what they believed was all these gods. There were many, many gods that they believed in, but they didn't know the great God. Here we have one of the most powerful verses in the Bible that tells us it's the glory of our great God and Savior. And who is he? Jesus Christ. Who's our great God and Savior? Jesus is God, is what he's saying. Zeus is not God. All those other false gods are not God. Jesus is God who came to us in the flesh. The deity who took on humanity to do what? To save us, to redeem us, and to purify us, to present us as a bride waiting for the bridegroom to come who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Praise God. He's our great God and Savior. He came into the world to save us, and he's coming again to glorify us. You realize when he comes in the clouds, you are going to be glorified? That's what he's coming for. This thing is not done yet, but he's coming again. To take the next step. And I believe that's the church to take us and glorify us and take us up to be with him. So his wrath, the wrath could be poured out upon the people that are left behind. I don't want any part of that, do you? Absolutely not. I have a question. What would Zeus do if God has wrath upon him? What would Zeus do if God put the wrath of God upon him? He wouldn't be happy. 
Not at all, Aaron. He wouldn't be happy. Thank God for his mercy. How about it? Amen. Amen.